After a roadwalk, I reach Mount Richmond Forest Park, loud with cicadas and birds and the Polaris River singing beside me. A sign tells me to listen for riflemen, tomtit, South Island robin, fantail, bellbird, tui, brown creeper and warbler, and that I might see Theo. The track is dry and rocky, finally no mud. It almost feels like trails in the Sierra. I'm surrounded by black beech trees, huge and ancient, sporting tiny serrated leaves, brown and curling on the ground. They make a soft carpet. Beaches weep sap, which a bug called a beech scale lives on, secreting the excess in a sugary liquid called honeydew. It kind of looks like amber dripping down the sides of the tree. I reach out to touch the puzzle piece bark, looking charred by this process. A cicada buzzes heavy, popping briefly into my face. I walk on with my mouth closed. The riverbank is nearly white limestone, and the river itself an impossible to describe emerald green. Large pools are still and deep, and I can see to the bottom. The day is sunny and hot, and I'm closing in on the hut, so I drop olive oil to contemplate taking a swim. As I take off my clothes, a cloud of sandflies swarms my body. Tiny, looking like miniature houseflies, they attack any and every bit of exposed skin. It's a battle with my clothes, hard to pull off my sweaty body, but I'm out of them and in the water fast, cold, refreshing, and clean. They don't seem to be interested in my wet head as I bob in what appeared from the shore to be still water, but is in actuality pulling me downstream towards the small rapids. I kick a little and pull myself over to the grippy limestone, balancing on my feet so I can dig my fingernails into my scalp like a shampoo. Okay, back I go, but just exactly how am I going to get out of here without alerting the sandflies? Very quickly, I tell myself. Very, very quickly. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I'm Allison Young, the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Like the small backpacking essential of the same name, the P-Rag shares the unglamorous but vital truth about empowerment as badass people who really don't need permission to blaze our own trails in this journey we call life. Thanks so much to Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the P-Rag podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Lecky should be in your hands. Also, Belega, makers of the best blister-resist, non-slouching, foot-massaging socks for the long haul. Sandflies didn't seem to find me on top of the Onaho lookout on the Queen Charlotte track. I've just started the South Island on my epic walk of the Te Araroa, New Zealand's long pathway, a through-hike of nearly 2,000 miles. Already I've had some wonderful experiences, harvesting mussels to cook up and eat at my first campsite, then stealth camping up high with a 360-degree view of Marlboro Sound, the bush-covered mountains seeming to grow right out of the turquoise water. I wake with the dawn and leave this glorious spot heading steeply down through bush into the Iwi Tuaroa Reserve, the finest preserved lowland subtropical forest in the world, 
and full of a dawn chorus. I work my way back to the ocean and on to Anikiwa, and passersby tell me, good on you, when I say I'm walking the whole country. It's rode for a long way, with one of the very few number of warning signs to motorists that walkers are on the road. Helpful, since Kiwis pretty much never yield to walkers. I see two very tan and very young walkers ahead hitching a ride. I guess I'd be too embarrassed to hitch a ride unless I was injured. Walking is what I do. Well, it takes ages before I finally round a corner to a lookout for Havelock far below, its muscle beds laid out in grids. Havelock is the green-lipped muscle capital of the world, and I eat an entire pot meant for two, right before popping into the hardware store for some fuel. And I just happened to mention to Michelle at the register that I'd like to go a bit further today than Havelock, so I can stage reaching the first hut on the Polaris River by tomorrow night. But I have no idea where to camp, as the campground is just too far to walk this late. She tells me to hang on a sec, picks up the phone, and calls a friend, and just like that, arranges for me to camp on their lawn. It's so New Zealand, and so perfect for me. And what a hoot at Heidi and Sam's. They moved here from Auckland looking for a place to fit their menagerie, including a horse, a pony, a pair of pigs and goats, numerous cats, one dog, and 20 chickens. They've lived here for five months, a house and grounds that was allowed to go to seed by a couple becoming too old to manage it. But pink and purple shag has got to go. Birds are getting trapped and die in the chimneys, and the cupboards are just coming apart. Still, they tell me the house has good bones, and the view is out of this world. I set up the alley coop on their lawn after we devour a fish dinner courtesy the salmon farm where Sam works. Life is good. Tui and Sam's loud morning stretch greet the day. I get to Dalton's track where the trail notes tell me I must not walk on the road. But the industrial sprinklers are running right on the path. I do understand that farmers don't want to dodge hikers. But first thing on a long day I don't want is a mud fest. It's going to take me an hour to walk here, and I'm hoping I can just move along without being seen. I'm not really sure why a public road can be off limits. Oh, shoot. It's because this road is not a public road. I'm on a working farm, and I'm surrounded by animals and machinery. I really don't want to be that ugly, entitled American hiker. Just then, a young Samoan farmhand races over to me on his 4x4 and guides me away from the huge herd coming down the road like an immovable tidal wave. I'm saved! And the field walk in mud... It's not that bad. I come to forest loud with cicadas and reach the Polaris River. Someone scrawls 1,800 kilometers in the gravel. I take a break at my halfway point still early in the day, but never too early for a thru-hiker to eat lunch. A lovely South African Englishman walks by who started just five days ago walking the South Island. He introduces himself as Pierre, and I say... Sava, to which he replies, his parents were just making a joke when they named him. And somehow, seeing another hiker makes me feel strong and capable, like I can get there too. 
The river turns on a bed of white-gray rock, emerald green and crystal clear like glass. I climb steeply away from the water, twisting and turning and negotiating roots and rocks. Beach forests are so much more open and light than what I walked through on the North Island. Ferns and palm along with podocarp give it an ancient primeval feeling. Oddly, the sandflies don't land on me while I walk. Kiwi Rob is at the hut and Pierre, plus a family of three with a plump and sassy black Scotty in tow. None of us stay in the hut because it's beastly hot. In the Kiwi sit at the picnic table, not a care in the world as sandflies work their way up my pant leg. No, the pure New Zealand campaign left out the epic sandfly nasties. It's Maori legend that they were created to keep us focused on the ephemeral quality of this Garden of Eden. They tell us we are visitors and can only pass through. That may very well be true, but I'm going to savor this paradise as much as possible. So off go the clothes again, and in I go back as fast as possible into the delicious water. Leaving me, for right now anyway, completely enjoying the ephemeral quality of this moment, and bug-free. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I share my stories of walking long-distance trails as a solo middle-aged female hiker, and I hope I can empower you to learn to hike your own hike, too. You can subscribe to The P-Rag wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review on Apple to help the show get discovered by other listeners. The night is cool and the stars come out. I see them through my bug net as diamonds displayed on black velvet. It's not long before I'm packed and off, crossing a a one-person-at-a-time suspension bridge, then straight up and away from the river, leaving the sandflies and the emerald green behind. It's humid, the cicadas crackling like live wires after a storm. Time loses meaning on a through-hike. An hour slips past, then another. I like to hike early because it's cooler, and the whole day is in front of me to do whatever I want with it. Wind is gently blowing in the treetops. I stop at Rock's Hut and see on the register that friends have passed through. I eat the rest of my salami, fill the water bottle, then head to Browning Hut along a saddle. It's a lot of hard work for virtually no view this far, though giant mountains peek through the trees. Maybe I should count my blessings I'm not hiking in direct sun. I come to a special spot of dappled light on moss and lichen-covered boulders. Hobbit haunt, I call it. Just now, a cool breeze dries me off, and I hold my arms out like a cormorant. On the Totara saddle, I finally see the monster range, big mountains to my left and the ocean to my right. No snow, but lots of scree pouring off jagged summits. The wind is up, and I run into two TA hikers I met on the way to Wellington. Ha! It's the American gal who never gave me her name. She's kind of unfriendly behind her radiant smile. All these young people pair up, and I march on alone most of the time. I'd sure like a, hi, how are ya, once in a while. Maybe she's just boring. At a steep downhill with washed-out roots in mud, I pass her struggling to get past. Or maybe she's just tired. 
I really need to chill on being so judgy, I tell myself. Or not. I think about this theme of being alone and finding very few companions that want to hike with me, that check in on me, that give a crap about me. These last days, while the weather's been good, I feel strong and brave and self-directed. I ask for advice, and some is critical, like the Kiwi at the hut who told me the trail would go straight up and that the ridge had absolutely no water sources. I observe, too, and try to ascertain what sort of changes I can make, like watching T.A. hiker Rob sketch out his plan for the coming range and Pierre doing shorter days fully resupplied than building up miles as the food runs out. Ultimately, though, every decision is my own. With no one that I'm paired with, I need to rely on my wits and, in turn, be accountable just to myself. Sometimes it causes fear so overwhelming, it's physical, closing off my throat. I can't breathe. I can't speak. When I first started hiking solo, I remember being unable to close my eyes at night. I felt terrorized by every sound and every thought. Perhaps my fear of the unknown will pass, too. I can prepare, assess risk, plan an escape, and then simply let go. I wonder if learning to manage things on my own is one of the lessons of this long hike. As I reach Browning Hut, I see some familiar faces. Floris and Marhalane. No way, says Floris, to which I reply, way. We catch up on all we've done in the past month, and then wonder when we'll see each other again, since I'm headed down now to Nelson. They head on up to the Richmond Range, and I go down a huge washout that takes the trail to rock-hopping and weird down-climbing. I cross the incredibly refreshing Hackett Creek several times as I head to the car park and notice plastic envelopes on the trees. They're bait stations for wasps, another introduced pest. The good news here is the track is short, and I'll be taking it right back up in a few days. It's a flat superhighway, and I fly down to another swing bridge just as a man begins to cross. Allison, he asks. Hey, it's my new friend Steve, meeting me exactly at the end. A Minnesotan classical music lover tramper, now New Zealand citizen. And in no time, he's calling me Al. Steve and his wife Maggie and I visit the restored old town, the Saturday market, and later I meet their friends and play a few notes on Maggie's kuowo, her Maori bone flute. On a side trip to Abel Tasman Park, I walk on golden sand in a private cove and swim in the deep blue water, the salt helping heal my itchy and oozing sandfly bites. But mostly on those two days off from hiking, we sit outside, talking and laughing, with the gentle Mai Tai River flowing past only a stone's throw away. They even ask me to set up my kit on the deck so they can see how everything fits together. It's not a bad way to rest up for the big mountains ahead in the Richmond Range, an exposed and high alpine crossing that will take me five days to get through. The conversation lulls for just a moment, and we simply sit and look out at the natural habitat surrounding the river. Steve says to no one in particular, 
it's hard to be more perfect than right now. <laughs> the man speaks truth. Whether escaping the sandflies by treading water or simply being in the moment fully, all of it is a perfect and wondrous now. Thanks so much for listening. Also to Lecky Trekking Poles and Belega Socks for supporting the P-Rag podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review the P-Rag at Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about my long walk on the Te Araroa, as well as the PCT and other trails all around the world. It's up at theprag.com. Next week, I head up into the Richmond Range, considered by many to be the hardest part of the entire Te Araroa. Until then, my friends, kia kaha, and happy trails. Beautiful. Have you heard that is so special. I, I so special.